Here's basically the answer to the question, because this is the question that Christians ask. Where are the miracles? You know, I read the Bible. I want to believe in the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. I read it, and I don't see any church that's doing what I'm reading they did in Ephesus or Corinth or anything. What, what happened to the miracles? And, of course, the, the other side says, oh, they're still here. You just have to have faith, and, and you need to retrain your mind to think correctly. This side says, well, you only want to see miracles because you don't understand the Bible like we do. If you understood the Bible, you would understand that you don't need miracles anymore. Miracles, the need for miracles is gone. This is a doctrine you may have heard me mention before. This is the doctrine of secessionism. Secessionism comes from the word, uh, you know, cease. The, the, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. And this is not a strange doctrine, you know, told by some little tiny tent group up in West Virginia, Appalachian Mountains. This is the largest Protestant denomination in America, the Southern Baptists. This is part of part of the teaching. A who's who's list of teachers you may have heard and listened to and even admire, believe this. Um, Chuck Swindoll, who was the first guy I ever listened to on the radio, Insights for Living, some of you may remember, I think it's still on, they play, play the reruns, uh, but you know, he was the first radio preacher I ever heard. I love Chuck Swindoll, uh, but he is the president of the Dallas Theological Seminary, which teaches this exclusively. And what I mean by that is that you could not be the president of that without saying, I believe it. In fact, you can't be a professor there Without saying you believe it, ask Jack Deere. He got fired when he said he didn't believe it. So this is very, very prevalent in, in, our, in our Christian society. Half the teachers you'll find online, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley, uh, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, these all believe this, what I'm about to tell you, uh, and the other half or the other side. So, but here's the idea. The idea of secession is the miracle ceased because it was always God's design that the miraculous gifts would go dormant. They've ceased. And that's where it comes. And the reason is because you have to understand what miracles are for. They say uh, miracles are given to authenticate the messenger. That's it. Um, it's almost odd because the way they teach miracles, it's like it isn't because God wants to help the person. He's just simply trying to authenticate the messenger. Um, and then they, they tell us that you know, this, this is done through certain periods of the Bible. And there are scriptures that back this up. I mean, clearly, I'm not saying that that isn't one of the reasons for miracles. That's clearly one of the reasons for miracles. In, uh, in Exodus, Moses is told by God, I'm going to make you like a god to Pharaoh. I'm going to do such signs and wonders that he can't ignore the message that you're giving him. I mean, think about it. He's walking to the most powerful man on earth and saying, yeah, God wants his people back. You better authenticate that message. He's not just some wandering shepherd. He has God behind him. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus comes and uh, John the Baptist sends disciples to him to ask him, are you really the Messiah or should we wait for somebody else? And Jesus' response to him is, go back and tell him the things you see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to him. He's saying, you can know I'm the Messiah because I'm doing what the Messiah was supposed to do. Most of it's signs and wonders. And then the last part is, I'm also preaching the gospel. So that's what he gives back is his credentials. So clearly, the signs and wonders that Jesus was doing was done in part, at least, to authenticate the message. Now, they'll go on and say there are actually only three periods of miracles in history, in the, in the entire history of the world. And uh, they break those down as this, the time of Moses, the time of Elijah, and the time of Jesus. Now, Moses gets Joshua in there too, and Elijah gets Elisha in there too, and Jesus gets his disciples in there too, you know, because it's in a continuation. But they're saying that there are three periods of time, and that's really it. And, and you'll see the people performing signs and wonders in these times and nowhere else. There are little miracles scattered about, they'll tell you, 
but these periods are the only time that we need them. Because, and honestly, I don't know why the time of Elijah is there. I've never understood that. But the time of Moses, of course, was to bring the Israelites out of bondage. The time of Jesus was to declare the new covenant. Um, I'm a little confused why the time of Elijah is there, except for there's clearly miracles being done. You can't really ignore them. Anyway, the point is that when we're done with the message and the messenger, the miracles don't need to stay anymore. And the reason why the apostles were able to continue on the miracles that Jesus did is because they needed to be authenticated. Jesus said he was the son of God, and so that message had to be authenticated. And then when he died and rose again, someone had to witness that. And so the disciples were the witnesses, and therefore they had to be authenticated. But then they went and wrote the rest of the Bible, which was their job. And when that was finished, the need for miracles has ceased. When the Bible's finished, we just don't need them anymore. And the reason is because we now have the Bible to authenticate the message with. So, you know, if I came in, I'd start saying, hey, I have a word of the Lord for you. And I just started speaking and there was no Bible. How would you know I'm speaking the truth? Well, if I could perform signs and wonders, you would know God was behind me and authenticating me. Now you don't need that because you have the Bible to authenticate me. If I say I have a word from the Lord, you can open up the Bible and you can see what the Bible says. And because of that, God took the miracles away. They actually teach that the miracles were never given for the edification of, of the body of Christ and believers anyway. Miracles are always given to unbelievers to let them know that the, that the miracles and the messenger uh, are speaking for God. Okay, so that's kind of the thinking. And, and it's funny because I'm watching your faces and some of you are nodding like, yeah, I've heard this or maybe I even believe it. And some of you are looking when you scrunched up faces like this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Does anybody believe this? Yes, the largest denomination in America believes it. So um, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with uh, the secessionism? Here's the reality of it. Um, it cannot be authenticated by the Bible. Uh, this is what is known as irony, by the way, because the whole thing is that we don't need the miracles anymore because we have the Bible to authenticate it. Well, you cannot authenticate this teaching with, with the Bible. The Bible won't support it. It just won't be done. Um, so you can maybe ask yourself, it's a logical question, well, what is that verse that says the Holy Spirit has ceased? What, you know, surely there's a scripture somewhere that says that, and actually, no, there isn't. There isn't one single verse in the entire Bible that says that. Uh, some have pointed to this verse in Corinthians, 13, 1 Corinthians 13, and you know this verse. Some of you had this verse read at your weddings because this is right out of the love chapter. You know, uh, you know I've, I've actually read this for weddings before. And at the end of it, it says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness or perfection comes, what is in part disappears. And they're saying, ah, see, right there, Paul's telling us these are going to cease. Yes, when Jesus comes. That's what he's talking about. Clearly, that's what he's talking about. You don't need prophecy when Jesus is here. It makes sense. That's what he's saying. He said, we only, prophecy only shows you part anyway. When Jesus is here, you'll know the whole thing. But he's saying love stays. And that's what this, if you look at it in context of the verse, in fact, many secessionists won't even quote this scripture because they know that there's no way you can back it up. So um, let's talk for a moment about what are the gifts of spirit because sometimes, you know, we take it for granted. Everybody knows what they are. And by the way, not everybody even agrees on how many there are and what qualifies as a gift of the spirit. I'm going to give you kind of the mainstream belief. I'm not going to read through this, but just in case you want to know where this comes from, 1 Corinthians 12, verses uh, 4 all the way up through 10. 
um, is where Paul lays out the idea of, of, of gifts of the Spirit. And I'm going to kind of show you the scriptures, but I'm not going to read them to you just because of interest of time. Uh, so, but he says the purpose of this, and he actually says this, is to build up the body. And he says everybody's going to get a different gift, and that's why we're supposed to come together as a community because we share those gifts, and it's, it's, it helps everybody. Uh, so that's what it says. So that's in Corinthians, but there are actually more. In another place of the Bible, again, it's, it's uh, Paul speaking in the, in the book of Romans. Letter to Romans, he writes one more time about the gifts of the Spirit. And by the way, I believe this is almost proof that this is not a complete list of the gifts of the Spirit. Because I believe if Paul meant to give us the list, of, he would have done it one time and it would have been complete. Or he would have done it twice, it would be the same list. It's a different list. Interestingly, the one that exists on both of them is prophecy. In both Corinthians and Romans, he talks about prophecy. So, um, w- but not all these disappeared. Not even the secessionists tell you that. Just some of them disappeared. And uh, because there's these things called miraculous gifts, those are signs and wonders. Those have ceased, but everything else is still there. <laughs> so you might ask the question, well, where does the Bible categorize which is which? And the answer again is nowhere. That just doesn't exist in the Bible anywhere. You this is just men telling you what they're reading the Bible and seeing. And that always should make you scared. And, and it's really weird coming from this group of people because they really do study the Scripture. And everything needs to be authenticated by Scripture. But one of the most key moments of, of their teaching can't be authenticated by Scripture. Instead, they go to the church history. Meaning, well, you know, if you look at the church history, what's that? Because there's a lot of things in church history I don't want to accept that happened in the early days of the church. that I'm a little embarrassed about as a Christian, we can't say, well, that's normal. And so um, there's no scripture that says that gifts have any kind of grouping at all. That doesn't exist. There's no scripture that says that gifts will cease. And there's no scripture that says that gifts have ceased. Nothing. And I always find this into this, this list is interesting to me because if you look at the list, um, like I said, prophecy shows up twice. Now, what that tells me is the Bible drew a line on a prophecy. If it shows up twice, that means... God's emphasizing it, and, but apparently he wasn't because they, that one went away. Um, serving, now that one still exists. You're all allowed to serve, and that's teaching and preaching. That's the same one. Isn't it funny how preachers think this gift still exists? I always like that. You know, prophecy, that's gone because we can't do that, but we are preachers, so that still exists. It's always funny. I want to ask them, well, if preaching's a gift of the Spirit, why do we have seminaries? You know, because part of what they're saying is the reason you know that the, the gift of healing, for example, doesn't exist today. That video we saw that made some of you cry and, and, and lift up your spirits, they would not accept that as a gift of healing that happened there. Yes, God does heal. You know, that's, that's, that's a belief. Everybody, every Christian believes God can heal. But because it didn't happen instantaneously, that wasn't a miraculous healing. Because they're saying if you look in the Bible, it's instantaneous. They, they lay their hands on somebody who's lame, that person jumps up and walks, right? When Jesus, you know, heals a blind man, it's instant. And that's how they heal in the book of Acts, and that's how Jesus heals in the gospel, and therefore that's a true gift of healing. Anything else isn't really that, right? Um, well, what I would like to point out is that in the book of Acts, the, 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 the Holy Spirit descends in Pentecost and everybody starts speaking in tongues, which is scary, right? Because they're all speaking other languages and everybody's saying, wow, what's going on? So all the believers, not just the disciples, by the way, all the believers who are gathered in that room start speaking in tongues. And everybody's like, what's going on? And Peter, who had no idea this was going to happen, stood up and began to preach. 
Hats off to Peter, by the way. No notes, no nothing. He just stood up and he started preaching. He preaches the sermon of his life. 3,000 people get saved that day. You know what? I look at the book of Acts and I look at the preaching going on today, including what's coming out of this pulpit. You can't compare us to that. Are you kidding me? So if, if the gift of healing has gone away because it gets healed differently, what about preaching? Because I've never heard a preacher like that. That's pretty amazing. Didn't study, didn't plan, just stood up and said, I'm going to tell you what's going on here. And he preached under the power of the Spirit. So it's kind of weird to me, the ones they pick that are and are giving, by the way, still exist. So you're all free to give. You know, that, that, that did not go away anyway. Exhortation, almost all of these, uh, except prophecy, still exist. Um, word of wisdom is gone, word of knowledge is gone, faith is still there. Healing is gone, miracles gone, prophecy is gone, discernment of spirits is not necessary, uh, tongues of course are gone, and so the interpretation of tongues is also gone. Those have all gone dormant according to the theory of <clears throat> secessionism. So um, where does the Bible tell us that miracles only happen three times? Again, nowhere. There's not a scripture in the world that tells you that. This is just guys looking at the Bible and saying, hey, I'm kind of sensing a pattern here. And they've built a whole theology around it. I'm telling you, I, and I know, I know that I'm talking about the who's who of teachers right now. I mean, John MacArthur, I don't even know how many books that man has written. It's like 20-some books or something, doctorate's degree. Uh, you know, he's like this very well-known teacher. He teaches this, and there is no scripture to back it up, none. They point to church history. They point to theories and patterns, but they have no scripture to back it up. Uh, and the problem is miracles absolutely persist throughout the Bible. And I'm not just talking about God did miracles because they admit that, everybody admits that, God does miracles. I'm talking about people given miraculous powers, people performing signs and wonders like happen almost every book of the Bible. They skip over Genesis because the first period apparently is Exodus. I'm like, man, there was some great stuff in Genesis. There's this guy in Genesis named Joseph. When we meet him, he's getting a dream of prophecy. That's how we first get introduced to Joseph is he gets a prophetic dream from the Lord twice, twice, where the, the, he tells him what's going to happen and it comes to pass. So we know it's prophecy and we know it's true. And, and he already knows the meaning of that. But what I love is what happens later in Joseph's life. Because I want to show you this. I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way before. But when Joseph is pulled out of a dungeon to interpret Pharaoh's dream, you know, some 17 years later, and he comes before him and he tells them what this dream means. And they're all stunned because the dream's saying famine's coming. They don't even know how to respond to this. Joseph like watches them all stare at each other. And he goes, I'll tell you how, how we should respond to this if you want. And then he goes and he tells them exactly what to do. And watch what Pharaoh says about Joseph next. Because he's going to put him in charge of the whole thing. This guy that is pulled out of the dungeon. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Now, Pharaoh's a pagan, okay? He doesn't know the right words, so he didn't say Holy Spirit. He said divine spirit. But he said, I sense a divine spirit. In other words, a godly spirit in him. That is the Holy Spirit. This is a pagan looking at him and saying, the Holy Spirit's in that man. That's the gift of the spirit. How can it not be? But watch, he goes on. He says to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, that's a word of knowledge, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. Gift of knowledge, gift of wisdom, gift of discernment everything, right? This man has the gifts of the Spirit on him, and Pharaoh recognizes it. I don't know how we can say anything else. If you scoop up into Judges, you know, because uh, we skip over, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, because that's all Moses, but we go after Joshua and into Judges, there's this guy named Samson, and Samson has supernatural strength that he only gets when the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. 
I believe that's a gift of the Spirit, and I want it. That's what I want to pray for, supernatural strength. Give me that. I like that. But even if you don't accept that as a gift of the Spirit, okay, fine. We've got to talk about the signs and wonders in Samson's life. Because you all know the story about how he kills 3,000 Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. You know, everybody kind of knows that story. Uh, I've done much better with the jawbone of an ass since, but, you know, I do that with speaking. But so we know that story of him. Uh, but what happens right at the end of it is apparently killing 3,000 Philistines is thirsty business because when it's all over, he throws it aside. He throws a jawbone and he becomes very thirsty and he cries out to the Lord, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. Now am I going to die of thirst? I'm thirsty. I'm going to die of thirst. And God splits the hollow place that in Lehi and the water came out and he drank. That's exactly the same miracle that Moses performs. Water coming from a rock. Exactly the same miracle. And it's on command. It's on command. That's exactly the same. Then, of course, we know in the book of Samuel, it starts out, we get introduced to Samuel, God comes to him and speaks to him. This is like the very definition of prophecy. I, would, I say I would love to have God speak to me. It probably scare me. But I think I would love to have God audibly speak to me. I've never had that experience. Maybe I want to experience it once. Maybe my heart would stop. I don't know. But he comes to him and he gives him a prophetic vision of what's going to happen in the world. But then what happens is he goes, grows, and spite of what Samuel does, all kinds of miracles. But when he anoints the first king of Israel, this is kind of not, not preached a lot, but Saul, the first king of Israel, he gets anointed by, by Samuel, and Samuel tells him all these signs and wonders which are going to happen to him. They all come to pass, but watch what happens next. And it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, that's Saul. God changed his heart. That's because the Holy Spirit fell upon him. And all those signs came about that day, signs. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily so that he prophesied among them, Saul speaks in tongues. That's what this is. He's speaking in tongues with all the other prophets. So here's Saul. And then later on in the book of Samuel, he's going to anoint the second king of Israel, a guy we know, named David. And this happens. When he gets anointed, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Holy Spirit descends upon David and stays with him for the rest of his life. From that day forward, we will not see this again until Jesus Christ. In fact, he's the only person in the entire Old Testament that this is true of. But the Holy Spirit, he literally gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends upon him and stays with him all his days. In fact, I believe that a lot of things that David is able to do as a warrior is only because the Spirit of God's upon him. Again, you know, if, if I can't have the gift of strength, can I have the gift of unnatural reflexes? Because apparently David had those. When he's talking about, you know, he's, he's, he's this kid, right? He's probably 16, 17 now. And he's talking about oh, when I was younger, <laughs> when he was 14. And he killed a, a bear and a lion. And I've shown videos of the bear and a lion he would have been facing. It's amazing. Anybody could kill them with their bare hands, let alone a 14-year-old kid. But he says how he's able to do it. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. You know, he has reflexes that were just unnatural, like the bear is swiping at him and God goes, nope, zoop, and moves him right out of the way. I want that too. If I can't have gift, strength, give me unnatural reflexes. I'd love to have that. But okay, so you say, well, that can't be a gift of the Spirit, Lord, because it wasn't mentioned by Paul. Okay, if we throw that one out, how about prophecy? David had the gift of prophecy. We know David had the gift of prophecy because he wrote them down. They're in this book of the Bible called Psalms. And I want to just pick out uh, two psalms, but I'm going to show you three prophecies that were really, really critical to the life of the Messiah. So in Psalm chapter 2, 
This, this uh, I'm sorry, chapter 22, 1, we said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ says this on the cross. In fact, those of you who are former Catholics, you ever do the stations of the cross? Seven last words of Christ. Two of the seven last words of Christ were prophetic psalm written by David. Two of them. Two out of the seven. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a psalm. And into your hands I commend my spirit. A psalm. But we also see this little prophetic nugget, also in Psalm 22. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Because the, the soldiers won't tear Jesus' gar- cloak. It looks too nice. So instead they cast lots. And every one of the Gospels points out this is a fulfillment of prophecy. David had the gift of prophecy. How can we not say he had the gift of prophecy? He literally was giving Jesus words that he was going to say a thousand years later. There's no question about it. One more, and then I'll stop. Uh, Isaiah. And this is really a critical one because what do they say? They say that miracles are only given during these three periods to authenticate the messenger. Well, here's this guy named Isaiah, and he's going to go to the king, and he's going to have signs and wonders performed to authenticate his message. Exactly their definition. Uh, What's happened is this king's name is Hezekiah. He's like a grandson of David. He's a fair to Midland king, but he's sick. And while he's sick, the king of Assyria is going to come and, and attack Jerusalem. And he's afraid he's not going to be there. The people are going to desert. And he's cooked, right? And he's actually living in fear. And God sees that. And so he sends Isaiah with a word to him. So the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. That's kind of good news and bad news because he was sick and almost ready to die. 15 more years is good. Not so good on year 14, though, because you kind of know that next one's coming, so I don't know. But I'm going to add 15 years of your life. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. That's the message. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back 10 steps. He's saying, I'm going to make the sundial back up 10 minutes. The sundial. He's going to literally turn the earth backwards, I don't know how many degrees that is, in order to make this happen. That's an amazing miracle. I mean, I, I, you're moving planets? Are you kidding me? It's an amazing miracle. And this is a sign and wonder that was performed in order to authenticate the messenger. I don't know how you can say that that doesn't exactly fit their definition, their own definition. So there's nothing about any of this that's biblical. There just isn't. Why is it there? Why do they come up with this? Why would they bother doing this? Who wants to go to a church that says God doesn't do miracles? Why, why would you do this? Because if we don't do this, we all have to have the same answer. If you're following the truth of the Bible, and the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and you see the Christian church performing miracles, you have to ask the question, why don't we do it? Aren't we supposed to do that? Aren't we supposed to pray and see miracle healings? Aren't we supposed to? And they're saying, nope, you're not everything's fine. The church is exactly what the church is supposed to be. You know what this is? Exactly the same thing the Pharisees were telling Jesus. We're fine. We got this. We figured everything out. We're, 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 we're very diligent about studying the word because the Pharisees were too. I mean, I know the Pharisees get painted in bad light. Those guys knew the Old Testament law. Paul had the first five books of the Bible memorized. That's astounding to me. I can't even say the names of them. He had it memorized. So he said, they, they know the Bible. We don't need Jesus coming and upsetting things. In fact, you don't want Jesus coming up saying things because they're the head of the church. If things get upset, who knows how it's going to end up? 
If carpenters are now speaking for God, why did I spend all that time learning the scriptures? I don't want my whole church to be upset here. I want to stay in charge. I want to tell everybody everything's okay. This church is exactly what this church is supposed to be. By the way, does anybody think that the church in America today is exactly the church we're supposed to be? Because I don't. I hope this isn't the church Jesus died for. I, I hope there's more to it. And I, I think it's up to us to, to, to continue to press into God and find out. Because I believe that the church is supposed to be doing what we see in the book of Acts. And I don't think the reason why it's not is God's fault. I think it's ours. And, and so I believe it's time to press in. But they're saying, no. In fact, if you do that, you're evil. In fact, John MacArthur has flat out said that charismatics are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now that's preacher talk to saying they're going to hell. Because Jesus tells us anybody who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, it's go straight to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $200, you're done. He's actually said that. He had his conference called Strange Fire. He said that. They're, this is actually blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a pretty big brush. Obviously, there are some charismatics I don't think he thinks that of, but still, that was said. It's kind of scary. It's not only is this teaching kind of off, kind of weird, it's evil from the devil and their apostates, and you need to stay away from it because it's horrible, false teaching. Why? Why? Why is such emphasis being placed on this? I believe that's the very same reason the Pharisees resisted when Jesus came, and that's because they have this thing set up, church is going the way it's supposed to go, and we don't want anybody to upset it. Because if I'm going to admit that my church is not what it's supposed to be, and by the way, I will tell you, my church is not what it's supposed to be. But if I'm not willing to do that, it's because I want to leave my church the way it is. Because I think I'm doing just fine. And that's what's behind this, I believe. There is this moment of pride that sometimes trickles through. Here's John MacArthur. If God was going to give miracle power today, I'll tell you who would have it. The men you trust and love because of their faithfulness to the Word of God, they would have that power. God wouldn't validate people teaching error. God doesn't validate bad theology. So that's what it is, right? Our theology is right, theirs wrong. And God, if God were going to do anything, you know, He'd do it through me. Basically, if I can't do miracles, no one can. Surely I could do them. Surely the other people who are part of this could do it because we're the righteous ones. If anybody could do them, we could do them. But we can't. But if we're, God were going to do it, you know, he would do it through us. And I thought, yeah, I've kind of heard this before. And I remember, oh, yeah, it kind of sounds like this to me. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. You know, if anybody could do it, it'd be me. Since I can't do it, God would not validate bad theology. Listen, good theology has never saved anyone. Without the Spirit of the Lord, nothing's, nothing's happening. We need, we need to do everything we can to make sure we are not quenching the Spirit of the Lord. In fact, Paul tells us a weird things happen when you spend all your time studying the Word and that's all you do. This is odd. If all you do is study the Word, absent the Holy Spirit, a weird thing happens. He talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He says, look, He's like saying the law is okay. There's nothing wrong with the law. He says, I would have never come to know sin except through the law. I wouldn't have known about coveting if the law had not said. But watch what he says. You shall not covet. But sin took the opportunity through that law and produced in me coveting of every kind. He's saying they'd actually use my love of the law to make me covet other things, like probably other teachers, other teachers' churches, 
other teacher's position. And so he's like, I need to not covet. It's really a strange thing. It actually pulls you into exactly the sin you're trying not to. And we see this happen, right? If you only study the word, and you're going to do this, studying the word, study the word, study the word, without the Holy Spirit's help, without the Holy Spirit leading you, instructing you, letting the Holy Spirit work it out in your life, then you're growing in knowledge and not in grace. And Peter says we need to grow in grace and knowledge. They're not the same thing. So um, I'm kind of done with this whole side thing now. I've been on it for five weeks, six weeks counting today. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of it. Uh, I was kind of really frustrated. Uh, and I kept asking God, what's the TIL moment here? For the past five weeks, I've been asking God this question. TIL, anybody know what it stands for? Today I learned. Okay. This is like, some of you guys are as old as me. Do you remember Timmy and Lassie? Remember the show, Timmy and Lassie? Remember how at the end of the show, after Timmy got all these problems, you know, and Lassie the call he saved, saved him. There would be that moment when June Lockhart would come out and put her arm around him and say, you see, Timmy, and explain everything to him. You know, I need that June Lockhart moment. Right? I need somebody. I said, God, I, here's my problem. My problem is I've spent five weeks going on six now telling people what not to believe. What do we believe? Where do we go? If we're saying, well, half of them are wrong because they're too spiritual and half of them are wrong because they're not spiritual enough, who do we turn to? Because I hope you know I'm not going to tell you to turn to me. I hope you know me well enough to know that's not where this is headed. Where do we turn? Because I've listened to these people too. I read these books. I, I get on YouTube. I, get on these, I have these apps. I, I'm like you. I'm always looking for more teaching, more learning. I always try to press in. I want to grow deeper. I want to know more about the, God, the, the Lord I serve. You know? I want to know as well. And I think God, I, I, for, for five weeks here, I've preached a sermon without a point, in my opinion. Because all I've said is what not to do. What, what do we do? That's the point. You know, before we started Spirit Chapel, uh, Victoria and I went to about every church in the area, and we'd, we would walk out, and I was always very quiet until we got in the car. When those doors shut, I think no one can hear me. My wife tells me they can't, but I think I'm safe when the doors shut, you know? And she's like, shh, shh, I should be whispering when we're driving down the road. No one's listening to us. Is the NSA have us bugged? I don't know, but, you know. Um, and I'd wait, though. I'd wait till we get in the car, and then I'd, do, then I'd say this, and what? And what? I heard it all. I heard that whole sermon, and what? Yeah, it was interesting. There was something about that Greek word I didn't know. That was cool. Uh, there was a nice little kind of background he gave me, the history of the letter or something. There were some interesting historical notes. And what? So what? Big, fat, hairy deal. How is that going to change my life? And if you've walked out of this church for the past five weeks and gone, so what? I'm with you. I want you to know. I'm with you. I'm like, okay, that was fine. Some of you guys are real gracious. Tell me how much you like the sermon. I want you to know I didn't. Because I kept saying, God, what's the point of this? I mean, I feel like I'm being faithful to where you're leading me, but I don't get the point. And I was just really saying, I need my Timmy and Lassie moment here. I need to understand where we go from here. And I was praying about this Thursday night, and I just felt God impressed something very strong on me. I'm going to tell you, first of all, what I felt he said to me in my spirit, not words, but in my spirit. And then I'll tell you what I believe it means. Because as I was saying, who do we listen to? And we've limited everybody. <laughs> Not really. There are others out there. But we've limited so many. Who do we listen to? This is like the who's who's list of the podcasts and television. Who do we listen to? And I felt God say, listen less. Obey more. And I believe what he's saying there is listen less to the teaching of men and obey more what I've already told you. Because I don't know about you. God's already told me some things that I'm already not doing. 
because, okay, that was interesting, God, but what I really need is this, right? I need to, I need to understand this, Lord, because this is, where, this is the need of my life. That's a cool thing you said and all, you know, about that fasting, but this is really a need of my life right now that I need to move on to, and I need you to speak to me about that, and if I can't find it in my own, in my own Bible study, I'll go find some preacher who's got a series on it, because there's a series on it everything out there, you know? And so I'll just go find one of those. And what I need is I need to find the right message to me. And then God said, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. Ooh, I don't do still well. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys knew that. I'm, I'm kind of fidgety. Before service day, <laughs> Carrie looked over me and says, stop doing that with your feet. You know, I'm like, I got this nervous energy. I, I'm not good at still. Be still and know that I am God. Listen less, obey more. I don't know what it is about our society, but we're afraid of silence. Have you noticed this? We don't like to have silence. We have devices now that go with us everywhere, and we don't need silence anymore. I, I, I confessed this last night. I actually think this is a sin. I didn't until last night. When I, before I take a shower, I'm looking through my playlist to find something to have on the background while I take my shower. Anybody else, or is this just me? It's probably just me. I actually am looking through, and like I'll, I'll like scroll through YouTube videos and look at the minutes. Well, that's interesting, but it's only seven minutes and 11 seconds. My shower takes more than that. I need to find something else. My wife would be like, what are you doing in there? I thought you said you were going to take a shower. I am, I am, I'm looking. I, just a minute, just a minute. I can't have silence for a second. I used to. I used to have no problem with silence, but now I cram everything in there. You know, I always have to be watching something, listening to something, get in the car, turn on the radio, get out of the car, stick the headset in, put the phone on. You know, just what is this about us? We can't stand silence. And God's saying, you know what? You need to be quiet. You need to listen less. And you need to obey more. And like, I don't know, God. That seems a little weird to me in today's culture. And then he says, you know, in Luke 5, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Wilderness. Oh, my Lord. Wilderness? Oh, I hate the wilderness. I don't think I want to do that. You need to listen less and obey more. God has already spoken into my heart some things he wanted me to do. They just don't seem important, you know? And, and what I really, really need, and to keep trying to tell him, is I need the right message for the church. I'm a preacher now. I can't take this time out in the wilderness. <laughs> like, like, you know, Jesus never preached. I can't take this time out in the wilderness, Lord. I need to know what to tell the people. They're coming, they're expecting answers. You don't know what that's like. I'm trying to explain to God. I need, you know, answers. I need to know what to say. Ecclesiastes 3.7. There is a time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. You need to listen less and obey more. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, if it's not time to speak, Mark, guess what it's time to be? I don't do well with this silent thing. I don't know. Listen less, obey more. I don't know if God's have spoken to you. I don't know if you felt impressed upon your heart something he's told you to do that seems so small. I mean, it could be so small. But if you look at every miracle Jesus does, he gives them something to do. It's simple. Roll up your mat. You know, that's, that, that's actually a step. Roll up your mat. What if the man said, no, heal me first, and then I roll up my mat? We do that to God. He gives us, this doesn't have anything to do with what I'm trying to do here, Lord. Maybe you should just obey. Maybe you should be more worried about obeying what I tell you to do than get to see the signs and the wonders that you want to see. 
And then Psalm 37, 7. These, by the way, this can go on forever. God has these verses ready for you in case you're wondering, in case you ever have the argument with him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. Hate that word. For him, do not fret when people seem to succeed in their ways because that bugs me too. Well, Lord, other pastors seem to know what they're doing here about the miracles. Well, don't worry about them. You be still before the Lord and you wait patiently. I don't like waiting patiently, Lord. You need to listen less and obey more. And then finally, Psalmist says this, Oh, my soul, wait in silence for God only. My hope is from him. Who are you going to put your hope in? A preacher? As a preacher, I can tell you that's a bad idea. There are going to be preachers that you have put your hope in that in the final day, they're going to stand before God. He's going to say, I don't know you. Jesus says we're going to be surprised at the people who are in heaven and aren't. Don't put your hope in another preacher, another message, a better message, a better preacher, better church, a different... Wait in silence for God only. Your hope is in Him. And only in Him we need to listen less and obey more. The good news is that it doesn't matter who's out there preaching what because the Holy Spirit is here to lead you. He's already kind of impressing upon your spirit things you should do that you haven't done, I think. I'll tell you for me, that's true. I'm going to close with a story about a guy who knew about signs and wonders. I'm going to show you something. I don't know why I hadn't seen it before. One of my favorite stories, this is Elijah, one of my favorite characters. Um, and this is towards the end of his career. Uh, well, he thought it was the end of his career. Anyway, he goes to speak to God at the Mount of the Lord, Mount Horeb. And he goes there, and uh, Jesus comes to him, because he goes to this cave in this mountain. And Jesus, because the, the Bible says the word of the Lord came to him, that is Jesus. He says, um, my father will see you now. Scary words. <laughs> Go on out there. God is going to speak to you. And so he goes out. Now watch this. And I, I know you guys know this story, but watch, watch how the Bible puts it. Behold, a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke rocks in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind. Have you ever been near a tornado? I spent time in Tulsa, Oklahoma, by the way. I watched a tornado form over my head once. I was, uh, I was in my house, and everybody in my cul-de-sac was out looking up at the sky. So naturally what I do, I walk out and I look up at the sky, you know. And there was actually a hurricane. You could watch this, this funnel cloud beginning to form over top of us. And I mean, I'll never forget, like, wow. And, and everybody else was just calm. I said, that's a tornado. I said, yep. You know, Oklahomans, yep. And I said, shouldn't we all be running inside? Nope. That's not going to get full force until about five or six miles down the road. We're safe. They knew it. Tornado Alley, man, they knew. But I like watch that. I can't imagine what it would be like to be sitting there in a mountain watching one go off, tearing rocks out in front of me. That's a whirlwind. It broke pieces of the rock, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake. Because that's what you want when you're standing on a mountain, right? But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. We just watched three signs and wonders. And Elijah doesn't move. Do you know why? Because he knows the Lord's not in the signs and the wonders. He's waiting for the voice of the Lord. Now, after the signs and the wonders passed... There must have been this profound silence, like crickets wouldn't move after God showed that one off, you know, the pyrotechnics of the... By the way, you know what this was? This was the glory of the Lord passing in front. That's what the Bible says. The glory of the Lord did this, but God's not there yet. Just his glory in front of him did this. Elijah doesn't move because he knows the voice of the Lord, 
And he knows it's not in the wind. He knows it's not in the earthquake. And it's not in the fire. He waits. And after that came a small, still voice, a whisper. And now Elijah hears it and wraps his mantle around his face and steps out to speak to God. Because now God's ready to speak. God doesn't speak in the signs and wonders. God speaks that small, still voice that you've already heard. But we want more signs and wonders. We need to listen less for that. And we need to obey more. You know, preachers, we use microphones. So that no matter what I say, no matter how soft I get, you can hear every word I say. But God speaks with a whisper. So only those listening for it will hear it. We need to listen less to the teachings of men and more to leading the Spirit. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are patient with me.